Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a heart towards God as we pick up in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. You see, you don't feel that need for the help of God. God, I can manage this one myself. And because you've relied on the king of Syria and and not on the Lord, your God. Don't you remember? Now the king of Syria is, is delivered out of your hands, but don't you remember that in the past, when you were invaded by this huge army of Ethiopians and Lubims with their chariots and horses, How that at that time you cried to the Lord, the Lord delivered them in your hand. For, and this is the truth, let God burn it in your heart tonight. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the entire earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely towards him. What is God saying? Just this. God wants to use your life. God wants to bless your life. God wants to pour out upon you his glorious resources. God is just looking for people that he can use, that he can funnel his resources through because God is wanting to reach this world around us. God needs men to reach this world. God is looking for men whose hearts are completely towards him, that he might show himself strong on behalf of that person, that God might funnel his resources through their lives. Oh, God, cause our hearts to be turned completely towards thee. Take our hearts away from the issues of the world, from our own desires and purposes, from our own goals and ambitions. Oh, God, let my heart be completely towards thee. Don't let my heart be turned aside by my own desires, my own wishes. God, let my heart be completely towards you. For the eyes of the Lord are looking through the whole world to find such men that God might show himself strong on behalf of those people. In other words, as we were talking earlier, God is looking for the man whose life is in line with the purposes and the will of God. And when he finds that man, and when that man asks God for those things of the kingdom that he sees are necessary, then God is already determined to give to him those things that he is asking because he's not asking to consume it on his own flesh, on his own desires. James says, you ask and receive not that you might consume it on your own lust. And so many of our petitions that we bring before God are really our own will, our own desires that we are offering to God and wanting him to help us to fulfill our desires. God's looking for men whose desire is totally towards the Lord and the things of God because God needs men in this world today. The world is in a desperate condition. 
God needs men. God is looking for men. And the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the entire earth in order that he might show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are completely towards him. Oh, God, I want to be that man. Oh, God, I want my desires to be fully in line with your will, with what you want. God, I want to be usable. And this is my continual prayer. God, keep me usable. I know it is so easy to get sidetracked, to get caught up in something other than God's purpose or plans and end up on the shelf. I don't want to end up on the shelf. I want to remain usable by God. That's the only reason for being in this rotten place. Living in this corrupted society is only one purpose, and that's to be used of God for his purposes. And when I start living for my own purposes, then I pray God takes me instantly because I'm wasting my life on that which really doesn't matter. There's only one real purpose now, and that's to be what God wants me to be, to be that servant of God doing his will in order that God might work, show his power and his strength through my life. God's looking for such men. I want to be that kind of man. I, I'm not completely I desire to be, though. And God knows the desire of my heart from the time when I committed my life fully to Jesus Christ to be that man that God could use. Now, Asa was angry with the prophet. The truth oftentimes creates anger, resentment. He put him in a prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. Here's the, here is the king who at the beginning offered this prayer of God, who's, who created this this great spiritual reform among the people. We're going to serve the Lord. He's going to be, you know, and now he's in a rage because the prophet has brought to him the truth of God. Throws the prophet in a prison. And Asa in the 39th year of his reign was diseased in his feet. It was an exceeding great disease. Yet in his disease, he sought not the Lord, but the aid of physicians and he died. Now, the intimation in the text is had he sought the Lord, the Lord would have healed his diseased feet. But you see, he began a pattern of relying upon man and upon the arm of flesh. We sing that song, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. It's vain to put your trust in man. Better to put your trust in the Lord than your confidence in princes. And he started out putting his trust in God. It's a, it's a sad, tragic story. A man who started out putting his trust in God knew the power of God, the great victories of God's great spiritual revivals, but whose life he ended up trusting in the arm of flesh, the arm of man. And he died trusting in man. At his death, his son Jehoshaphat took over the throne. Jehoshaphat was a very good king. 
and God strengthened him. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam, the false god. But he sought to the Lord God of his fathers and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of the northern tribe of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents and he had riches and honor in abundance. Seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. And in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hael and to Obadiah, to Zechariah, to Nethanel, and to Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. And he sent with them the Levites, in order that they might also instruct the people. And they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went about throughout the cities of Judah and taught the people. So he sent out evangelistic teams to go to the cities of Judah that they might teach the people the ways of God, the laws of the Lord. And, and he really, again, is bringing the people back to God as the center of their national life. And the fear of the Lord fell upon all of the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah so that they dared not to make war against Jehoshaphat. And even the Philistines began to pay tribute to him. And he waxed great exceedingly, and he built in Judah castles and cities for their storehouses. And he had much business in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. And the number of the army was close to a million now that he had amassed. And they waited on the king. Now Jehoshaphat had these riches and honor in abundance. And for some reason he joined affinity with Ahab, who was one of the most wicked of all the kings of the northern tribe. Why, I don't know. But he went up to visit Ahab in Samaria. And while he was there visiting, Ahab said, look, I'm going to go out and fight against the Syrians at Ramoth-Gilead. You want to go with me? Joseph said, why, why not? You know, I'll, you know, I'm with you as one. We're one together. We're both kings over, you know, the nations. So sure, I'll go with you. And so they went up against Syria there at Ramoth-Gilead. But Jehoshaphat, before they went, said, hey, is there a prophet of God that we can inquire of to see, you know, if God's in this thing? And so he called the prophets in, 400 of them, and they all said, go up. The Lord be with you and prosper you and give you victory over your enemy. Now, Jehoshaphat said, isn't there any other prophet? Now, here are 400 guys agreeing together. But Jehoshaphat somehow felt something a little funny about it. He said, isn't there any other prophet that we might inquire? He said, oh, there's one guy, his name is Micaiah, but that man, he never has anything good to say to me. I don't like to call him because always, you know, bad news for me from this guy. And he said, don't say that. You know, maybe this will be good. Let's call him in and see what he has to say. So they sent his servant to get this one prophet, Micaiah, and he said, now look, fella, you've got a reputation of giving bad news to the king all the time, so hey, say a good word. Uh, don't give him bad news. 
So the king, when Micaiah came in, said, Shall I go up against Syria at Ramoth Gilead? And oh, Micaiah said, Yes, go and prosper, defeat your enemies. Sure, go ahead. And the king said, Look, man, how many times have I told you not to lie to me in the name of the Lord? <laughs> said, All right, if you want to know the truth, I'll lay it on you, king. I saw a vision, and the men of Israel were all scattered, and they were like sheep without a shepherd, declaring that the king was going to fall in the battle. And he said, Didn't I tell you that this guy never has anything good to say about me? And so the prophet went on to tell him, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all of the hosts of heaven were standing at his right hand and his left. What an awesome vision the prophet had. God's throne and all of the hosts of heaven. And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab, the king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spake, saying, You know, I can do this. Another said, Well, I can do this. But there came out a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said, How? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil against thee. So Zedekiah, one of the prophets that was there, who had made some iron horns and went running around like a nut with these iron horns and saying, Thus... You know, you're going to push the king of Syria all over the place. He slapped this guy in the face. He said, tell me, what direction did the spirit go that told me to slap you? And Micaiah said to him, behold, you shall see the day when you are going to go into the inner chamber and to hide yourself. So the king of Israel ordered him to be taken and put in jail until I come back in peace. And he said, hey, if you come back in peace, I'm a false prophet. Now... The difficulty lies in how God worked in this circumstance. Why would God allow a lying spirit to fill the 400 prophets to entice the king to go to battle at Ramoth Gilead? I don't want to get too involved in it. We don't have time tonight. But God has created all things for his purposes. And even Satan is fulfilling the purposes of God. God has placed the limitations on what Satan can do. He can only do what God allows him to do. Satan complained against certain limitations and restrictions that God had placed upon him concerning Job. But God does use Satan for his purposes. When God created man a free moral agent, gave to man the capacity of self-determination, gave to man the power of choice, it was necessary in order that man's choice be valid that there be something to choose. If you didn't have any choice, then what value is it to have the capacity of choice? It doesn't really make sense that God has endowed me with this glorious capacity 
of choice. I am going to create man after my own image, a self-determinant being. He will be able to choose, but then there's nothing to choose. All there is is good in the whole universe. There's nothing, there's no alternatives to choose. So take your choice. But there isn't any choice. So God had to create the choice. He had to allow Satan to rebel in order to create the alternate choice in order that he might know that man truly loves him and serves him from a heart of love because God was looking for love and fellowship from man. God could never know if that love was genuine unless the capacity of choice was there. And thus, God allowed the rebellion of Satan. God placed the tree in the garden. He allowed Satan to exploit the tree in order that man might have the opportunity to exercise that choice in order that God might receive true fulfillment from the love that man offered unto God. So God has given to you the capacity of choice tonight. You don't have to love God. You don't have to serve God. You don't have to express your love to God. But you have the choice. You can do it if you want. But if you choose to do it, then God knows that you've done it by choice, that it is really in your heart to do so. Oh, God, I love you. I don't have to say that. I could choose to hate God if I desired. I could choose to rebel against God. I could choose to live a life totally after my own flesh in complete rebellion against God. I have that choice. But by very, the very virtue of the fact that I've chosen to love God, to serve God, to commit myself to God, he knows that it's a genuine love, a genuine commitment, because I don't have to. And thus he receives from it that warmth of fellowship that he was desiring from man. So God here is allowing this spirit, a lying spirit, to come into the mouths of the prophets in order that he might fulfill his purpose to get this guy up to Ramoth Gilead. You say, well, couldn't God have used something else? Of course he could. But he chose, and he has that capacity and power too, and I can't really argue with the choices that God makes. I don't know why God has chosen me. I'm glad he did. I don't argue with it. And I made a point not to argue with the choices of God because I know that he is wiser than I am, much smarter than I am. So I just say, well, Lord, if that's what you chose, you know what's best. Now, it worked. Ahab went up against Ben-Hadad, or the forces of Syria. Now Ben-Hadad the king had said to his captains, he said, look, there's only one guy we really want, that's Ahab the king. So concentrate on getting him. Let that be the, you know, the concentration of the battle is to get the king. I'm not worried about the rest of the army. If we can get the king, they'll fold. So as they were going into battle, these two fellows, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, 
Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, hey, I'd like to sort of get into the thick of things. Let me just put on the, the robes of one of my soldiers. Here, you, you put on my robe and all, and you ride in my chariot. I want to get another chariot. I want to get into the battle here. So Jehoshaphat got in the king's chariot, you know, and there he was with the king's robe on. And, of course, the captains of Syria were all looking for the king's chariot. When they saw him, they began to encircle him. And he, you know, got on the horse and really got going and, and crying out, you know, and uh, really trying to get out of there because they were all concentrated on him. And when they saw that it wasn't Ahab, then they turned from pursuing him. And one guy just pulled back, you know, there's a bunch of people are there, just pulled back and let fly with his arrow. At a venture. Wasn't really shooting at anybody, just shooting in the direction of the enemy. And God directed that arrow and it came right through, pierced through Ahab, the king. And he propped himself up in the chariot to continue the battle. But by the end of the day, Ahab had died. The prophecies of God were fulfilled, the purposes of God were fulfilled. Jehoshaphat, of course, returned back to Jerusalem. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Chronicles on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Chronicles 16-18 through when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you, and may the Lord strengthen you through this week, and may the Word be as a fire burning within your heart as God ministers to you His truth. And may your life be purged through the Word, cleansed. And may you walk with the Lord in beautiful fellowship, May God grant to you opportunities of witnessing and serving Him in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As we look back over the roadmap of our lives, we often see the value of troubled times, personal trials, and even the experiences of pain or the death of a loved one. 
These are the building blocks that establish God's plan for us. It is with great honor that I'm pleased to introduce Pastor Chuck Smith's autobiography entitled A Memoir of Grace. You're invited to pull up a chair and listen as Pastor Chuck shares his personal story of how God's grace prepared him for life's purposes. Perhaps as you're reading this story, you'll be prompted to evaluate your own past, your present situation, and that which is yet to happen, and realize that it all plays a part in establishing God's plan for you. See God's grace at work in your own life when you order a personal copy of A Memoir of Grace by Pastor Chuck. God called me into the ministry and how God has just led us step by step. For more information on how to order your copy, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org or call toll-free at 1-800-272-WORD.